Hey folks, uh, Conversations Podcast. This in, this one is a special one. Uh, Phil Strout, who was uh, for 10 years the National Director of Vineyard USA, is joining us to talk about the Jesuits and St. Ignatius. And um, Josh and I get to uh, talk with Phil about a subject he's really, really passionate about. When we, uh, Josh and I start talking about uh doing a podcast where we focus in on church history right away we said we gotta see if we're if we're really lucky we can get phil strout to come talk about the jesuits because he is so passionate so much of his own story and his own spiritual formation um is really tied into saint ignatius and the incredible contemplatives in action uh, that that mark the Jesuits and the, and the whole movement that they I mean these this is a group of people who have really changed the world so we're going to talk about and hear from Phil uh, re- the remarkable things that they they did and and what you'll see in the episode is just an incredible amount uh, the degree to which the thoughts of Saint Ignatius have really shaped Christian thought and Christian history so I'm really excited to hear so honored by the way that our, our former national director would come and spend a few minutes talking with the Maryville Vineyard. Um, um, so uh, enjoy it, guys. Phil Strout. Phil, thank you so much for doing this. I look forward to it. I really appreciate it. That when we were talking about, we just wanted that we're doing this uh, podcast series where we're just we're looking at spots in church history, and we said, well, let's just pull in some people who are really fired up about particular little windows in the history of the church, and it took about. 20 seconds before somebody said we should ask Phil <laughs> to talk about the Jesuits. He, I think he could talk about them all day long. I could. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the angle we're heading for. You got any, got any questions or anything before we just get, get rolling? No, nope, just fire away. And I can pick up any heretical or fabricate dates and I <laughs> make up stories. That's great. Well, <laughs> now um, look, it's, it's good. It's you know it's something I I uh, it, you know just in the change of the rhythm of my life I, I I I haven't I haven't talked about it that much in the last year or two, mm-hmm. but then when I got thinking about this, I realized how embedded uh, some of these these uh, realities are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So maybe we can start there. Why don't you why do you talk about if you would some of the ways that. The story of the Jesuits and Ignatian spirituality is, has transformed who you are. Because just in conversation with you, man, it becomes clear that you've been marked, you've been shaped by this. Yeah, I call him my late life mentor. Okay, there we go. Uh, yeah, I, I actually, and um, I think sort of in around two thousand, about so about twenty three years ago, I was doing a, a master's degree, and it was a master's in ministry, but the focus were um, the early church fathers. And I was, I had all of my training had been, and the prejudice of my training and the churches that I belonged to were basically reformationist forward. Uh, So we had enriched lively education from, you know, the, the, the 1500s forward. Um, But, I had not had any more than superficial, a couple of church history classes, but it's totally superficial. But when I did this project, um, 
I, I had to read a lot of the early church fathers. So I just sort of became quite fascinated with the different religious orders of the first 1500 years and wrote extensively, read extensively on um, everything from the Franciscans to to uh, all of them, the Benedictines, where did the orders come from, the rules of life, and all of all of the different uh, groups. Uh, but when I got to the, the Jesuits, when I got to St. Ignatius, I immediately found that I had a, I just had an identity, I had an affinity with uh, him and his adventurous uh, uh, spirit, but also just the, the quality of the principles that, that he formed with the other original nine guys was, was so close to so many of our vineyard values. It was like, yeah. goodness gracious, you know, these guys believe, I mean, one of the biggest marks of it was finding God in all things. And we've yeah. always said, you know, God's at work all the time everywhere. And our job is to discern that. And then we're invited into that. Well, I found that a lot of the Ignatian spirituality issues were hand in glove with uh, mm -hmm. values we already had. And they put, they actually, and defined things even a little bit better. So, uh, yeah, so most of that was just research. Then I just started reading everything I could get my hands on. And I read a couple of, couple of principal books that helped me the most. One was uh, Heroic Leadership by Chris Lowney that I should have bought stock in that company before I told everybody about it. Cause I, I think I probably have given away a thousand of those. Yeah. I'm happy to be on the list actually. <laughs> you handed that book to you. It yeah, made a pretty yeah. big difference for me too. It, I just learned so much mm -hmm. uh, that, that it just helped. And, and uh, then another book, uh, in life that impressed me was, of course, uh, Francis Xavier, who was also a Basque. His missional uh, journeys were uh, stunning, and also very interesting that he 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 was not the one that was supposed to go east. He was going to stay in Rome when they founded the order, but they they believe in a phrase and they use it as one foot in the air. So you can mm -hmm. pivot and adapt to any missional opportunity at any point. Well, that's our that's that's our language. You know, Absolutely. what's the Lord doing? Pivot. If you, yeah. you you might be doing something, but if the Lord's doing something else, you pivot, you adapt, and you do it. Mm -hmm. That's that's those guys. I love uh, that phrase, uh, living with one foot raised. I, I the first time I read that, when it was in the book that you handed to me. Yeah. Um, I just felt so incredibly stirred by that. And I thought that's exactly what I want to do. Um, yeah. a, a, a penchant toward action, ready to move. And if, and, and also if, if it's a step forward or if it's a step in a, in an angle I wasn't anticipating, um, like you said, to be able to pivot quickly. Pivot um, adapt. Yeah. I wonder, yeah. Phil, if you could, um, you know, we'll, we'll have folks from all over listening to this podcast. If you could, just as if we've never heard of it before, like if I've never heard of St. Ignatius or of the Jesuits, would mm -hmm. you kind of give us sort of the story, like maybe just start with Ignatius perhaps and give us a story about how this all got going? Sure. Uh, you're talking 16th century, and he was a—he uh, was actually, it was a soldier, uh, mm -hmm. and in the defense of Pamplona, which is in northern Spain, um, he took a cannonball to the leg and he was actually taken back to the Basque country, back to San Sebastian or Loyola, actually, which near San Sebastian. And um, in his convalescing, he, he 
had an incredible imagination and he he noticed he asked for some reading material and the only thing that was in the we'll call it a castle there was a life of jesus and then then a second book the life of the saints and he read those and he had a stirring but some of his time in the convalescing year was he would be thinking of he was a womanizer, so he'd, he'd, he'd live, you know, think and uh, fantasize on, you know, how he could do uh, great things to impress great women, da 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 da. But then he'd be thinking, you know, the saints, the early, you know, the early church saints. Um, I could do that. That's I I like that. Those, those, that's a, yeah. and he realized that both of those things kept flooding his imagination. But every time he thought about. Uh, women and his acts of chivalry and all of that, when it was done, he didn't feel anything when he was done thinking about it. But when he thought about Christ and about the saints, he said he always left with a strong passion. And that's how that's that's drew him to the Lord. He had a dramatic uh, uh, conversion. And he, you know, he went from one extreme to the other. He was, you know, a, a soldier. Now I'm going to be a great soldier for Christ and made a pilgrimage to the Middle East, to the Holy Land. And the Franciscans said, no, you can't be here. It's too dangerous. We're just going to have to pay a ransom for you. So go back. So then he had to <laughs> walk back to Spain. In all of that, he he met the Lord and he had it was it's so interesting in his time of convalescing, there's a there's a small town just just uh, well it'd be north northwest of Barcelona, Spain. He had what we would call an ecstatic experience with the Lord, sitting on the bank of a river in a town called Manresa, and he said he learned more in the twenty. He was in a trance, and the Lord visited him. He said he learned more in that 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 twenty four hour period than he learned in the rest of his life. He had an open heaven it was revelatory and at that that began the process of the, his inner life and recognizing the spirit of god talking to him um and it was from that experience that the actual spiritual uh uh exercises came when he finally wrote those out so yeah so that's how it got started he ended up needing an education he wasn't that well educated so he had to go back and uh, uh, uh practice his latin and he ended up at the University of Paris and there met up with 10 other guys, nine other guys, Francis Xavier uh, being one of them. And they that's how the Jesuits formed. They, they're yeah. a brotherhood, a society yeah. of friends, um, a society of brothers. And they they married two things that is so amazing. They had contemplative lives, but they called themselves contemplatives in action. Yeah. Yeah. So they weren't just missional, they were also spiritual. And they they made sure that and they were the, they were the ones saying well here's a, here's a, here's another distinctive piece of the Jesuits is instead of being cloistered all together, they they basically made their the parish was the world to them. Yes. And so they would not, they didn't follow a lot of the Benedictine orders of how to have a monastic life. Just the opposite. He said that if you have, if it takes you an hour and a half of prayer or two hours of prayer every day to stay close to God, you've wandered too far away. And he introduced the examine, the prayer of examine, where morning, noon, and night, sometimes four times, where you just, you do a quick 
uh, do a review. Where have I seen the Lord in the last 24 hours? Where, where, where was I? Um, where did I feel the move of God in the last 24 hours? Where did I resist the move of God? Where did I not respond to the voice of God? Do a reflection. Uh, you start with gratitude, every exam. So he introduced that. And at one point after they got started, there was a, there was a, a I think a, a Jesuit in Portugal who wanted permission to pray more. And he said, if you, if you, if you can't recenter in, five or 10 minutes. You've just wandered too far from God. Yeah. What a thought. <laughs> so I, I love that. It just, yeah. There's things like that. Uh, the practicality, mm-hmm. the, the Jesuits introduced a practicality to spirituality. It's, I would say it's what I loved about it was it's just earthy. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly mm-hmm. earthy. It's not high mindedness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a practice. It's a very, very, uh, it's a very thorough spirituality, and it's also missional to the to the nth degree. I mean, if you think of the institutes of higher learning in the United States alone, you know, Boston yeah. College, Georgetown, Loyola, Marquette. I mean, I can just go on and on and on. They're just all over right. this country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was just wondering, before we keep talking about his story and, and the movement that came out of that and all the beautiful things that came out of that, I was just, I'm really interested in your thoughts on what happens when you're on one extreme or the other? You talked about these being contemplatives and action. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, you, if you're just contemplative or, or spiritual or whatever that means on, on one hand, or you're just in action, like a lot of Christians like to be, um, what are the dangers of being on on either extreme without the other? Oh yeah, well, if you're if you're an activist, strictly an activist, there's a a, a book I would highly recommend, and it's called Slow Kingdom Coming. And it's basically by Kent Anand, and he is one who has been super active in migrating people through his entire career. He's wherever big migrations like we're having today from the southern border, you know, southern countries into North America. So, I mean, he has worked on the front line of what we would call justice, social justice, uh, as a, as a follower of Jesus. He says the burnout rate in that in that the field is. Um, he gave the statistics. It's a book I read many years ago. I just have, I don't have them fresh in my head. And he's one said, we've got to believe in the slow kingdom coming. The poor will have with us always. And, and we actually, he, he, uh, I wrote a review for his book and he came to meet me at one of our national conferences because he was quite interested. Why, you know, why that, why that fell so well with me. Um, so it's burnout. Most of you just burnout. Uh, you, you, if you don't have an inner life, See, this is this is the whole thing. If you go, if you have a public life and you don't have an inner life, we all know the results of that. And if you have an activist life without an inner life, you're just not you're just not going to stay the course. But if you just have an inner life and you're not engaged with the world, it's like an absolute disobedience to Jesus. So that's the both and, and which would you know that's the. Again, think of the language, quest for the radical middle, both and. And then we look back five centuries and we say, those guys got it. And bring that, most of that, you can bring it right into a contemporary reality. Um, You know, so I've spent, I don't know how many years now, just anybody that would listen to me say, how's your soul? And that's the inner life. That's the contemplative life. That's where you do the, that's the, that's, that's the heavy lifting. But I've also zigzagged across the globe to preach the gospel to anybody that would listen. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was not, my wife was brought me home a little book. She's a first, she says, Phil, I've got a, I, I have a book that sort of defines you and it's called contemplatives in action. It's written by a couple of young Jesuits and I, you read through it and they even talk about uh, dynamic tension. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's us. The kingdom's yeah. coming. The kingdom is coming. It's not mm-hmm. here yet. You know, that's a, uh, it's Augustine, when it comes to friendship, St. Augustine, would, he, he said friendship is an eschatological event that you can have close friends on the earth, but what you're shooting for is that friendship in heaven. And so I, yeah. I think with the point I, I would, one of the points I'd make, I, like I say, these aren't, I'm not following a script here. It's just how much I discovered of the men and women of the first 15 centuries and unfortunately, a lot of institutions that identify as Protestant through so much of through everything out, not everything, but, you know, they cherry picked the thing. But some of it, I don't know where, you know, I, I, and that may not be true for everybody. But for me, my church experience and my education was basically Reformation vote, even mission history. You know, we start with guys in the 15th, 16th century, like nothing was going on before that. Well, back yeah, then, they've crisscrossing the world for centuries. And, and for those who are listening that may not know, I mean, yeah, Phil served as the national director before that, a very influential pastor in the vineyard and all kinds of other stuff you did with the vineyard. But then before that, you were actually on the mission field for years and have, and have continued to do so much and, and been hugely influential within the vineyard and beyond in terms of missions. You know, I'm like kind of a missions guy too. And I remember a few years ago, uh, I was joking with a pastor friend of mine locally. And this was after we'd come back from living on the mission field. And and he said, he said something like, uh, we can pause. There's, there's time to wait. And I said, there's no rest in the kingdom of God. I made some kind of just ridiculous statement. And he looked at me very seriously and he said, Josh in the kingdom, there is only rest. Wow. And I didn't know I didn't know what to do with that, and I've spent a lot of time. So, so the the whole the whole tension that you're talking about of yeah, contemplatives in action. What a phrase, man! It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it really does define you, Phil, and your life. Um, one of the things I'd love to hear you talk about uh, around Ignatius's conversion. You know, um, he be, for many years was a man before Christ who just wanted to be a great man however he perceived of greatness, whether that meant a great womanizer <laughs> or right. a great military hero or, and really his, his allure to the saints is that they were held in such prestige. They were seen as what he considered great. He wanted yeah. that attention. He wanted to be the great man in every room that he walked into. And then it's, I, I'm really struck by how the Lord took that, that desire, that ambition that had been twisted by his sinful nature um and yet he was wired up to be heroic he was wired up to be great and what i I think we have a tendency to do is is look at ambition look at zeal to put a, a more christian word on it to look at great zeal and go hey um easy on that you know yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) um and yet what happened with him is is the lord took all of that and then just put it all on christ and then he became someone who shared his platform who gave away leadership who who rejected you know sort of the great man of god theory Mm. and in the process became 
this historical figure that was in every way great or in yeah. many ways great. Yeah. I, I'm I'm so struck by how that happened. And I think it has something to say for us now where we do still have that sort of great man of God, great woman of God. Let's put people on a pedestal. And Christ really transformed that for him. Yes, yes, yes. It, it, it got beat out of him. By, yeah, by by life, and and you know it it goes even further than that. He actually didn't want Jesuits to take high ecclesiastical positions. They really did for for that's one of the very reasons where they were to be signposts. They were to be they were uh, uh, gospel people. And uh, the present Pope is the first Jesuit in, uh, to uh, ever take that level of uh, ecclesiastical position. And it was, I think he, he, Ignatius talks a lot, Ignatius spirituality and the exercises, a lot about in, inordinate attachments or disordered ambition. Uh, and he, he really, you know, the, the word that they would use is indifference. Like, don't ask to be rich or poor. Don't it, you could don't you don't ask for a long or a short life. I, I, Lord, what would like Jesus's prayer? Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but so he he calls it indifference. So when things happen, is somehow you, 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 he he got rid of the, what he would call his own um, inordinate attachments to being great. But that's the inner work. I mean, they that just stuff doesn't go abracadabra, go away. We yeah. are wired in the fall with ego and ambition. And I think that's the that is a part of the examine number one. Number two, having a spiritual director that is discerning with you. He really introduced that. He, I mean, he 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 really helped people. And with the with the spiritual exercises, the training that he would do for novitiates is it was it was in a work. I mean, I've been in uh, Loyola's actually where he was born in in uh, Spain in Loyola, Spain, or in the Basque Country, where there was a group of um, novitiates going through their thirty days of silence, and they're basically defining who they are they're they're really going after it so the a spiritual they'd meet with a spiritual director and these guys i walked them walking in the hallways and they're just you can just see they're grinding out and uh so it's an inner work could you could you just before 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 you go on about uh I, i think a lot of people might listen to this and say uh, either I've never heard of a spiritual director or I would like more clarity around what Ignatius meant. Uh, mm-hmm. And then even, even today, like what, what, uh, what you like about that field, I would just love to hear you talk for a minute about spiritual directors. Yeah. Because one of the, one of the principles, even of the, the Ignatian conversation is don't do it alone. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, a spiritual director really, I don't know why the word director is even in there because really it's a co-discerning it's, it's a process of questions and and listening. You have you you you're listening to hear where there's emotion, where there's the you know you peak and you've got some energy behind it. A good spiritual director just saying, "Let's stop." You've just said the word "frustrated" about seven times in the last couple of 
minutes. Let's let's just sit with that for a minute. And it, it's it's spiritual directing isn't directing somebody what to do, what to say, how to think, or anything like that. It's it's discovery, and it's the best word I've I've heard is co-discerning. Mm-hmm. It's somebody else with spiritual ears who's listening to you if you're talking about a, your job, your marriage, your your, your calling, uh, raising children parenting, adult children, things like that, that are really going on in your life. And they just say, well, where's, you know, where have you seen the Lord? And they listen. So it's really, it's not coaching. It's not mentoring. Uh, it's a co-discernment. And I have some of the richest moments uh, I have, have come from being led by a spiritual director, both men and women. One of the greatest ones is I was discerning, uh, this would have been in 2011, I think. Brother, I even, Lord, is this because we we were asked, would we consider being the national directors? And I I had a week planned at a center, Jesuit center, of just a silent retreat. And I had the most amazing 76-year-old lady was assigned to me. I met with her for 20 minutes, seven days in a row. But she was a prophetic, wise, and she just kept asking the best questions and it sort of left and right. And she was discerning what they what she does is there'd be there was five of us she was assigned to that week. So she only met for 20 minutes with five people. And then the rest of her day, she went into intercession for the men Mm. and women making the retreat. She. She t- gave me two words of words she had no idea that I would be reading in the Bible that same day. She goes, well, as I spray for you, this, you know, I just look at that. How did she do that? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been the same in a silent retreat as a silent retreat with a spiritual director for about 20 minutes. So all she did was help listen to the Lord. And she could tell when I, when I, was, you know, or I was just frustrated, or it was like, I really don't know. Uh, so they're co-discerning, they're co-listening, they're friends, uh, and they don't leave home without them. And then how did how did Ignatius, uh, how did he get turned on to this, or did he just develop it himself, or was he looking yes. back at... No, the spiritual exercises, the whole thing was he actually, he did it with himself first, and that's just what I said when he was in Manresa at the beginning of his journey, he had a an ecstatic experience. That's the best word I can come up with that I that fits from what I can understand. But he's actually in a trance, and the Lord gave him all of these insights on the in, in the inner life, um, how to actually uh, how to understand and appreciate and trust your emotions instead. You know, because I when I grew up in church, you don't trust your emotions; they'll get you in trouble. Right. And that was like yeah. that's a bad part of the human being, which it just it it enrages me when I hear still hear that mm-hmm. conversation. So out of Manresa, out of that came he started putting all of this down in order, and how it worked with him. So he wrote this thing called the spiritual exercises. Now when he fast forward when he was at the University of, of Paris with these other young men who were going to enter ministry, he started, they realized, take us through that. And that's how the whole thing got rolling. And then he trained them how to do the same thing and et cetera, et cetera. Now, not just Jesuits. I mean, 
the spiritual direction is now just deeply, deeply, deeply into the Catholic Church. And fortunately, I think now it's becoming deep, deep, deep into many movements and denominations. And you don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. So it's co-discerning and helper. Yeah. 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 I wonder, um, you sort of, I think, got close to this. um, Some of the language about discernment. It's funny, just talking about Ignatius, the, the breadth of what he brought to the church at large, like major ideas that have shaped the church for hundreds of years now. Um, really came came through him, and the sermon is a, a big a big piece of that. And I, you, I think you maybe got close to this earlier when you're talking about emotions and discernment. Would you take a minute and talk about consolation and desolation? As you've talked about these sure. things, it's helped my discernment process a lot. Yeah, yeah. He he's the, he was the first one I've really read that helped me understand the godly gift of emotions. And how you know we're 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 a very complex being. We have intellect, we have will, but the emotions get poo-pooed for some reason in in a lot of formation, a lot of spiritual formation, because they're just going to get you in trouble. Don't trust your emotions. He did mm-hmm. just the opposite. He said, "Listen to listen to your 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 being. You've got you 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 use your intellect." Gather the information. You are the one having to make decisions, so you're going to have to discern. But what? How does that go? So he that that's the talk of consolation. You can be two, like us. Three of us could read the same thing or do the same thing, and to one of us it could be a desolation, which is bad. You know, desolate just leaves me without spirit, without hope, without it. Just mm, just leaves it's nothing in it. Or it'd be consolation. It's the shalom of God. It's what it's 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 you just recognize it. There's a mm, in my knower I know, in my heart I feel it. Now that's that's it. And so he they introduced in discernment the ability to even read yourself. Now that's again, you especially if you're committed to using a spiritual director, and if you're in a community, you've got pastors and and mentors. And so you've got all of that. But it really helps you if something is not sitting well with you. Uh, it's, it's consolation, and and the, and the teaching in that there's a lot written on it today. Is basically don't make any big decisions when you're in desolation. Yeah. If it's not a life giving moment, let's not be thinking about who you're going to marry, where you're going to go to college, because mm-hmm. you know. And and honestly, there's a really good little book called What's Your Decision. And it's one of the most precise little books that that children and teenagers should be reading because kids come to be 17, 18, 19, and they've never been taught how to make decisions. And at 17, 18, 19, you're making some of the biggest decisions of your life. What are you going to do when you grow up? Where are you going to go to college? How are you going to get married? Are you not going to get married? And they've got, oh, I don't know. Dad went to that. Well, I'll go there or, you know, Mm -hmm. it's. So, yeah. Yeah. Desolation, constellation, words you want to really get in touch with. I, I actually feel, I'll just say this, just maybe somebody's listening that it, I, I, I felt a bit ripped off once I understood uh, the discernment as Ignatian teaches it and taught it. Um, because I, I know there's moments in my life that I sort of knew, but I was so. I was, it was so ingrained in those early formation 
of don't trust your emotions. Yeah. And I feel a bit, I felt, I, and I've said that before. I just like, okay, you, you, you taught me that because that's what was taught to you, mm-hmm. but I just don't believe it anymore. Yeah. Phil, I can really, I can really relate to that. Um, in fact, that's why I brought that up in part because language around discernment, consolation, and desolation that you brought as our national director over the last few years have really impacted my life and Sharon's life. Is we're, we're, we will often ask, well, how do you feel? Like, do you feel consolation? Do you feel desolation? And and those words were almost anathema in the church that I grew up in. Yeah. How do you feel? And it's like, well, because the assumption is then you don't need to ask how you were feel because because your emotions are like a fart in the wind. They could change at any time and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. And and the other thing is, well, you don't need to ask how you feel. You need to ask, what does the Bible say? And so yeah. I just want to be clear, Phil, like I can, I can vouch for you, man. You are a Bible guy through and through. Like I you am. absolutely embrace the authority of scripture and we're Bible people through and through at our church. I mean, this is a no, in no way does it remove that. You know, if scripture yeah. says, door number one is a sin, then who cares how you feel? You can't go through door number one. Right. <laughs> but right. wisdom is required when when the Bible doesn't explicitly give you direction uh, right. one way right. or the other. And in which case, you, you need to listen to your own emotions if you have any confidence that the Spirit of God is actually in work, at work in you, that you are putty in the hands. If he's the potter and you're the clay, then he can shape and mold through your emotions or through any yeah. other means yeah. to push you in, in in one direction or the other. We, we're we his sheep. We know his voice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're made, we're made in his image and Most, he is love and love is an emotion. Like he yes. speaks to us through these things. Jesus wept. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come on. And you know, when, when I use the word discernment, I'm almost exclusively using this language, consolation, desolation, the way I've understood it, we're talking about discernment between good things. It's not discerning, am I going to serve God or sell cocaine to kindergarten children? (laughs) Right? That's not discernment. That's not discernment. I don't have to have any, I don't have to have any emotions about that whatsoever. But Uh sometimes it is, you know, what, what, what is, what is my vocational call? You know, and a, 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 a doctor, a, a lawyer, a pastor, a school teacher, those are all good things. Mm-hmm. Okay. How are you wired? Mm-hmm. God has wired us. He made us. He put these complex things together. He gave us uh, a, a, a self revealing book that has helped humanity through the ages and instructed us. And, he, and it takes intellect to read. It takes will, uh, but it all, it, it just does it. Now it's almost ludicrous to be so suspect of emotion. Now, again, people mm-hmm. can use it and they can say, well, that's just the way I feel. And so I'm going to do this. But you know, if they're playing, if you're playing game, the only way, matter of fact, I think, I think in the, 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 um, I don't know if it's in the book. What's your decision? Because I've read so many on discernment written by Jesuits. Uh, but don't even use even the concept if it's about sin or no. Mm-hmm. This is about right. it only works if you if you're saying, God, my life is yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not about, 
you know, because again, that gets dug up with the inordinate attachments. That's right. Yeah. Right? Well, and, and that's why you do the inner work. And I, I, here in just a, a few minutes, I'm sure we're going to get to this. I, I'm really curious to hear you, you already touched on the legacy uh, that St. Ignatius left and like movements that came out of the overflow of who he was and what he offered the church. So I definitely want to hear that in a few minutes, but I don't want to pass one thing up. And that is you gave us a couple of books that are great. And I mean, you know, I know there's, there's like examine apps and things like that that people can use. But one thing I, so we live in the Southeast. Uh, there's that, that concept of spiritual director, um, that's pretty foreign to a lot of people in circles I grew up in. And so if people want to explore these things, you know, consolation and desolation, somebody to help me walk through it. I mean, I would hope that our church, our local church can help to an extent, but we don't have a whole fleet of spiritual directors. How can somebody um, be offered something right now where they're at? And I want to throw one other little thing in with that. Is there a way to, um, almost train somebody to be your spiritual director. In other words, ask somebody to speak into uh, your life, even if they don't know that language. I no. I I think I think spiritual direction is a training. It's just like being a car mechanic, uh, being a theologian, being a historian, being a school teacher, being a, a chef. I mean, a Michelin chef, right? It's training and this acquisition. Um, my wife is a spiritual director, and it, it, it took her a number of years working with uh, a couple different groups, Sustainable Faith and another one I can't think of right now. Um, so, yeah. It, it, yeah, yeah. It, so I, I do get that. It's it's a fairly new thing. But there is a lot of just level, easy level material to introduce the concept. Any of the writings of Ruth Haley Barton? I highly recommend because in that you, and I mean, you know, she was, a, she's a Protestant, right. And, and, uh, uh, but in, she has found her way in life with this. I I don't know of any, she's, she's in all of her writing. So I would say any of the material by Ruth Haley Barton, um, uh, are very, very helpful. And of course, Dallas Willard and some of the early books on spiritual disciplines, Richard Foster. Uh, but I think spiritual direction is something you learn because so much of us are we coach, we mentor, we tell, especially mm-hmm. leaders, especially mm-hmm. leaders. So you sort of have to slowly turn the room and learn mm-hmm. how to ask good questions and uh so I think it's training. I really do. Yeah. I, that's, and go ahead. And there's um there's also just as a reference, there are actually there are spiritual directors trained and experienced in our local church. So if people are hearing this and they're wondering about that, um, I can help make some connections. And there are Excellent. some organizations within Vineyard um, and kind of in the orbit of Vineyard USA that. Um, is training lots of folks and creating some experience and opportunity for people who are skilled and and trained appropriately. Um, Phil, I wonder if you, you know, we were talking about that discernment process, uh, spiritual direction, being aware of our own emotion and paying attention to that um, kind of hits on another thing that uh, Ignatius talked about a lot, which is which is self-awareness. Would you maybe talk about the importance of that and, and how Ignatius addressed it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, in a sense, it's the seeking and di- di- uh, 
and discovering who we are by daily examines. You mm-hmm. begin to know things about yourself by just saying, you know, who's like I one of my daily questions and usually three, if not four times a day is um, have, have, did I did I did I uh, what's the word that I actually would use? Did I mistreat anybody in the last 24 hours? Mm-hmm. If I keep coming up with knowing, boy, I really shut that gal off or I made a wife remark to that lady and I, or that guy and. Okay, so you, it is knowing yourself and 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 dealing with it. And this is this is the brilliance of it. And I read it. It was actually Chris Lowney in um, Heroic Leadership, and it 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 sort of it, it it made sense to me because he says if you'll do the hard work of finding out who you are, you won't spend another day of your life trying to be somebody you're not. Wow. So there is That's a really good freedom. There is a freedom in self-awareness. It's not say I'm a bad guy. Well, right? that doesn't, I did some dumb things. I've done some bad things. Okay. That doesn't have to define me. Mm-hmm. But if I recognize it, if I'm impulsive, if I'm reactionary, if I'm judgmental, if I'm cynical, I want to, I want to root that stuff out. You're only going to do it. If you'll ask yourself those questions, who am I? You know, do I, do I want to be Machiavellian or do I want to be somebody that looks at humanity and says, I want to, I want to love the humans. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I think there's some, um, I think there's some nervousness around self-awareness. This is kind of, this is language that in sort of our, there's a lot of people with more of a therapeutic worldview these days. Yeah. And there's a nervousness around that and around uh, if we're talking about self-awareness, it's like, okay, are we just navel gazing? Are we are we going to be able to see past our own noses? And then, but to be clear, this is the guy, the guy who helped us learn to be more self-aware is the guy who said, "Live with one foot raised." He's the guy who said, "Go forth and set the world on fire." This person was self-aware for the express purpose of being heroic for the greater glory of God. And self-awareness is the number one way that I understand where our freedom comes from. Mm. Because self-awareness is not self-centeredness. Yeah. Self-awareness is not being self-absorbed. Self-awareness is to understand. It's like, you know, you can look in the mirror and you can look in the mirror and say, you're a piece of work. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what Psalm Mm. 139 says. Mm -hmm. Uh so yeah, I know I get this, and I I always understand this certain tensions. But this is where we never give up. Don't give in to words like somebody mm-hmm. you know stealing words. Like oh, you can't use that word. Well, yes, I can because I can explain it. That's right. So I just I've always that is how I say it too. It doesn't mean self-absorbed, self-centered, uh, self-aware is who am I? Because when you define who you are, you you realize I'm not going to spend another day trying to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have this much intellectual horsepower, I may not become a great academic. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I was meant to be a contemplative in action. And so I can go off and spend a week in silence with Jesus, but I can also go in the woods and, and, uh, cut my way through the woods and build a log cabin if I have to. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. But I'm, so self-aware is what, how am I fearfully and wonderfully made? And what the, it does, it, it roots out, self-awareness roots out inordinate attachments. Yeah. It roots it yeah. out. 
Yeah. So, well, you have to yeah. know. Like, but I what get is that it? when somebody's saying, well, that's just that's therapeutic or that's uh, uh, cultural self-absorption. Uh, two different things. Yeah. You have to know where your blind spots are. You have to know what is it that is that is looking to gain my heart, to gain mastery over me. If I don't stop and look, and if I don't invite others to jump in and help me see what I can't see myself through a co-discernment process, then I'm, I'm vulnerable. I'm yeah. so vulnerable. Um, and, and it's not about, again, being self-obsessed or self-absorbed, as you said. It is, as, as Ignatius would say, for the purpose of the greater glory of God, for the yeah. well-being of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, one of the things, so you, a little bit of history here for for our church, um, who this is primarily going to be heard by, Phil. Um, a whole bunch of years ago, you gave me that that book, Heroic Leadership by Chris Lani, which I strongly recommend. Um, and I, I read through it a few times because it, it really was formative and it brought it brought the history into um, uh, something very practical and applicable for me. Um, and really struck by something that maybe some, you and I have some cultural similarities here. Um, I just like the sort of blue collar vibe that, that Ignatian had, that it, the man wanted to get his hands dirty and work hard and, um, and while being intensely intellectual and contemplative, that combination, I just found so so refreshing. But anyway, I, I, I really leaned into the book. And then out of that came some really important language for our church hmm. um, that has been a, a really big deal for us, which is love greater than fear. Yeah. And um, that really that really shaped the Jesuits. So I, I wonder what you would maybe say about that, because um, uh, uh, it meant a lot yeah. to me. I know I have, I, there's a lot of things that really given languages. Uh, sort of d- defining, and that's the, my reference to Machiavelli in there is, is, you know, love is greater than fear, and he he chose fear. And it, it's those types of things, one foot in the air. I have an actual ongoing document that I've, I've been writing now for several years. Basically, it's a glossary of terms, because I have found that when I really, you know, like we've already used some of them, you know, when we talk about desolation, consolation, Pivot one foot in the air. That's how you stay missional. The inner life, the self awareness, um, all of those concept principles are uh, really, really, really helpful. So I've I've just I want to become I want it to become my language. So I, I I'm writing a glossary of terms and basically, and I've shared them out about if somebody really wants to you know have a weekend where you dig into that. Um, yeah. Because they do shape you like love's greater than fear. You know, the the fourth piece of the spiritual exercises is the contemplation on how to uh, how to have divine love. Mm -hmm. And and if you and novitiates, this is how strongly uh, Ignatius felt about it. If they could not deal with that final piece, they couldn't become Jesuits. They might have ended up good churchmen. They might have, but but that was an issue because they they you have to be able to see humanity as the that that person that naturally drives me crazy is still the apple of God's eye, mm-hmm. and you never look into a person's eye that God doesn't love. That God loves the person no matter whose eyes you're looking into in the, in the human race, billions and billions of billions of humans through the years, 
Um, you're never going to look into one pair of eyes where that, that person is not the object of God's love. But that is more than just, you know, love, 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 love. No, that's it. That has to become a worldview. And it is, it cre- it's, it sets culture, you know, love greater than fear. I think you even sign your emails by that, don't you? Uh, yeah, I have for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought <laughs> of that. I, I just thought of that. Isn't that amazing how one little thought can really become something that turns your heart, you know? Yeah. And, and you, you use the phrase, and I like it, and actually not all Jesuits, but a lot of them do. They actually call this a blue-collar spirituality. Mm, okay. It's real. It's real. It's, yes. you know, uh, it's earthy. It, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and well, it, it is. It of- is. High horsepower intellectual. Although these guys were oh, educators, they were the top of the top in education because they realized how ill-trained the the people they were getting were so ill-trained in uh, so many subjects that mm-hmm. they just said, "Okay, we're just going to." They didn't set out to start schools. Right. It was so that they would have top end recruits to train them to be Jesuits and be missionaries. Right. Teacher, so they started. Well, we got to start, let's 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 start with education, right? So they're fiercely uh, academic, mm-hmm. and, and you know, but earthy, as you said, earthy, earthy. earthy. It reminds Commit- me of one of the quotes. One of the Ignatian quotes I really like is, "Work as if everything depended on you. Pray as if everything depended on God." Yeah, it's yeah, that's it. Like, we don't just sit around and wait for the next miracle. Like you just go full speed ahead and then the yeah. Lord will meet you in the process. I think the miracles come, you know, people say, you know, this, the miracles come, the incredible things happen to people who are on the way. They've put their hand to something. Um, yes. That's that's when, frankly, you need the Lord to intervene <laughs> when right. you've put your hand to something rather than sitting back and waiting. That's, again, living with one foot raised, you know, yeah. let's, let's have a, a sense of action. But That's the, but that's with, the missional side of it. The, uh, one of the teachings on that was just Jesus, when he multiplied the bread and the fish, they didn't just stand there and had, they got two fish, five loaves. Okay, Lord, make this into 5,000 fish and 10,000 loaves. Once you've mm-hmm. done that miracle, we'll start passing it out. Right. I'm sure they yeah. had to keep reaching into an empty basket, pulled out another fish. Yeah. And they were yeah. passing it out. Yeah. No, sure. it's, uh, or, again. Or the 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 um the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. You know, they had to wait out into the water before that stuff started getting out of their way. Which yeah. is yeah. Yeah. One of the things uh also about Ignatian spirituality that that I think I'm I'm really struck by is the I don't want to say here they're they're incredibly intentional um in that um as we've said several times in several ways now they're marked by action they're they're yes. they're going they're doing they're going they're doing but they're doing it very intentionally and thoughtfully there is a there is a mode of proceeding right a yeah. modo de prescindere you, you get it <laughs> exactly but the to, I think people are hesitant around that as well to say you know if we're really going to be led by the spirit um, then can we be this intentional or this, in a sense, programmatic? And yeah. I think that's a false dichotomy, right? Totally, totally. Again, because you have to, it's just like, you know, when you think of scripture, one of the keys to biblical interpretation is you interpret, you use scripture to interpret scripture. That's right. And I, I think it just sets up a false thing. Like, 
the model that procede was just, this is just how we work. It defines how we work. But along with that comes the principle of one foot in the air, Ad- mm-hmm. adjust, adapt, be willing to change. So we've got a plan. Oh, now we have a different plan. Yes. But without mm-hmm. that, but we're on the way, we're doing this. So you have the mixture of, of those things. Of, I mean, they were big, big, big. Uh, he's, he's, he never, he, Ignatius didn't stop writing basically their constitution until he died. And they, he was still putting it down and still, you know, so they were methodical, mm-hmm. but they were also incredibly spontaneous. Yeah. Francis Xavier was not supposed to go east. But the guy that was going east got sick. Yeah. So Ignatius goes to this guy and he says, I think you have, you know, I I think you're going to have to go in his place. Mm -hmm. And within 48 hours, his entire life changed. Off he went. And he never came back to Rome. Once he went east into India and Japan and on to China. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. That's just an amazing thing to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so he had to keep a foot in the air. Yes. Yeah. And that and that really does. That phrase, it sums up so much so well. But I'm, so I, I, I see really those two. They, they marry, you know, um, yeah. pivot. Mm-hmm. But this is this. The model they proceed is more about who we are. This is how we operate. This is the way this is the way we do things. I mean, they they took their vows, man. Those, those, those vows like this is a big boy vows. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, That's right. Whoa. Yeah, and that intentionality, that the planning, uh, I think is really important. You know, uh, we taught recently on Psalm 61 where it it ends, it begins with, with David in a panic. It ends with him in the shelter of the Most High saying, where I want to be every day fulfilling my vows, you know? And so yeah. I, I want desperately to be a man who, if the Lord breaks in at any moment and say, drop everything, go this way, I better be ready to say yes. Yeah. But that is not in that is not in contrast to or in any way opposed to the idea that I would carefully plan diligently. What is it that the Lord would have for me? How am I wired up? What am I good at naturally? What are the things I struggle with? What are my weak points? And how do I sort of intentionally shape a life and be be shaped by vows or rule of life to use some other sort of coded language um, that say this is this is what's going to mark my days. And this is these are the things I'm going to pursue. And if the Lord deviates from that, I better be ready to say yes. But I think the Lord works in the deviations for sure. But he also works in the planning and speaks to us in the planning. Very, very good. Ignatius would give you an A plus on that explanation. Hey, oh, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) I love this stuff. This is yeah. this is just uh, it's more natural now than it was. I I I I'm glad I put the early years into this mm-hmm. because some of this just now is just the way I am. It's not mm-hmm. something I know, mm-hmm. and it's a uh, it's a real blessing. Well, look, I yeah. love you guys. Self share and I said hi. I you guys good? Kids we're doing are good. Really, we're doing really well. Actually, it's a it's a good season right now for sure. Your, your kids yeah. are getting older, dude. I know, 15 and 13. I'm teaching one how to drive, man. It's happening. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, God bless you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Phil. I really appreciate it. We'll talk again. Thanks, man. Bye.